Daily news, breaking updates, and exclusive podcasts. iTricks.com. Hello and welcome back to another iTrix Magic Week in Review. Possibly the first time all year I got the name right the first time for the show. This week, uh, we've been gone for a while. We're going to be back for a while, though. And this week is, is a good one. Here's a guy we I talk to a lot on the internet, and finally we're, we're sitting him down on the podcast. Uh, and that is Mr. Lee Asher. Lee, how are you? Hello, everyone in iTrix land. I didn't. Hear, I, don't, I don't hear him. They're not, they're not responding. The iTricksters are a silent group. Uh, for, okay. Hello, everyone in iTricksland. Hello, Michael. Nice to actually speak with you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it, it is good to speak with you. Like I said, we, we, you're, you're one of the people that uh, it, you know. I, I will, I will get news from here and there, which is, which is always nice. And, and that's some things we'll talk about, uh, like the Sorcerer's Safari Camp. And um, yeah, I like to consider myself the Toronto TMZ. The tr- I think are, that's are Justin, you a lawyer? Justin gave me that name. No, no, nor do I drive a spider Ferrari, but I do report some of the news sometimes when I have it. And, uh, uh, but the other thing, you know, we, we heard from you not too long ago is about the, your playing card club that you're involved in. And uh, you, I think you're, you're in Canada right now for the big convention, right? I am in Canada. Yes, yes, this is true. But the playing card convention is actually happening in Orlando right now, Orlando, Florida, at the uh, Doubletree Hilton SeaWorld. And it started yesterday. And uh, check this out, opening night party, right? Coach to Kimlot, walk around magic. Boom, how cool is that? That just starts, that starts the convention, Coach to Kimlot. Uh, by the way, all card tricks because we are a playing card collector's association. Uh, by the way, it's called the 52-plus Joker. Uh, we've been around since 1985. We have our, our annual convention around different parts of the United States. And like I say, this time it's in Orlando. Um, last year it was in South Carolina. The year before it was in Las Vegas. I'm trying very hard for them to do it in, in Toronto because I'm, kinda, I'm stuck up here at the moment. Uh, I've been immigrating to this country. As uh, some of you know, I got married a couple years ago to a lovely Canadian woman. And uh, so I'm, I'm trying to immigrate to Canada. And there's, it's, a, it's a process they say in Canada. So I'm, I can't leave during this, this time. This, it's about a three-year span, and I've already been in a year, so I've got two more to go. So sadly, I'm sitting up here uh, living vicariously through people's tweets and you know, Facebook timelines and whatnot, uh, and they're having a blast down in Orlando. Uh, there's about, I'd say about between 100 and 125 people, um, all types of collectors of playing cards, everything from uh, early antique cards, you know, 1880s, and then you have vintage guys there, and then you even have modern guys that are there. So it's depending on what you like, you will find something, because there is something for everyone at this convention. Uh, and it's not, I, don't want, I want to preface by saying it's not really a magic convention. It's a card collector's convention. There are some magicians that go there, like Steve Brooks, for instance, is a member of the club. Steve Brooks owns uh, the Magic Cafe, as you know. So he's there, but he's not there in a magic capacity. He's there in a playing card capacity because he is a he's a very very good like he he's he collects uncut sheets he's got such an impressive collection like i I don't know if most people know that but he's he's really a very intriguing collector because again he's so niched at what he collects 
Um, there's a lot of guys. Bill Kalush, who is now running Expert Playing Card Company, who is from the Magic World, but he's there, again, because of the playing card world. Ex, uh, so he's there, like I say, Expert Playing Card Company. United States Playing Card Company is there in, in strength. There's actually three employees from the, the, the parent branch in Kentucky. Um, you've got Tom and Judy Dawson, who came down from Toronto. Those are the, the, like, the experts of American playing cards. They wrote the, the Encyclopedia of American Playing Cards, the Hoffman Encyclopedia. Everyone who's anyone in the playing card world is there. Mark Stutzman, actually, is our, uh, was our speaker today. I didn't, I didn't obviously, I'm, I, didn't, I wasn't there. Uh, but I, was, I got to live vicariously through a couple of tweets. He spoke for an hour. And he showed a bunch of different decks that he's working on and things that he has worked on in the past. And he talked about how he approaches designing playing cards. And if you're not familiar with who Mark Stutzman is, he's the guy that does all of David Blaine's decks of cards. Right? He's just done the Gator Backs. He, was, he did the Split Spades. He did all of David Blaine's artwork for his posters as well. Um, and in the non-magic world, he also did the, uh, the Elvis stamp. I don't know if people remember the Elvis stamp that came out in the 90s. So Mark Stutzman is a, a, a very, very high-profile playing card designer, and to have him at this convention this year is like a coup, man. It was really, when I heard he was coming, when he, when he accepted the offer, I was like, that's awesome. So I, there, I, I, can, I can keep talking and talking because I, I don't know if you know this, but I'm a playing card geek. Uh, yeah, you know, that, that, that has come to, to light here in the last couple of seconds. But that's okay. <laughs> I am just curious. Because if there's any if there's any magic guys out there who are like P playing cards, man, that's dorky. Seriously, look in the mirror. I'm just saying. <laughs> we, we don't no, you know what? I embrace people. it. I embrace it. I love it. These are you know cards. These are these are our tools in, in our art. And so I, I just maybe it's just me, but I wanted to know more. And I, I found this organization in 2009. I got very lucky. They had they had a combined convention with the playing card society right real high profile guys from europe and they had the convention here in toronto so one day i'm surfing around on the net and up pops playing card convention in toronto you know right downtown like literally 10 minutes door to door like wow no way this can't be and so i, I instantly send my money and i've got to go to this thing and i show up and it was an entirely new world like i thought i knew a lot about playing cards and i did except I knew a lot about playing cards from a magician's point of view. But these people, they're not magicians. They're playing card enthusiasts. They're playing card collectors, historians. So while we play with Tally Ho, these people will tell you about Andrew Doherty, who is the man and who invented Tally Ho. That's the A Doherty on the box. So it's an incredibly fascinating world that I kind of lucked into. And like I say, in 2009... And, and I'll make a long story short, but I, I became a board member that year because I, I was, at the time, I was in my mid-30s, and this was kind of a slightly older clientele, an older group, which is fine because I'm from Florida and I'm used to that. Uh, but they, they, saw, they saw someone, you know, obviously 10, 20 years younger, 30, 40 years younger, and they thought, wow, there are people who still like to collect playing cards. And this, this was right after, a couple of years after, the big boom in 2004 with Illusionist and the Black Tiger deck. So there are thousands of collectors who collect modern decks and bicycles making all of these different types of cards, and they had no idea. 
So I became, like I said, a liaison between these two worlds. And I sat on, I sat on the board since 2009. And just yesterday, uh, I've, I've accepted the, uh, the appointment, but I will be the president of the, of the playing card world in, uh, in 2017. So how's that for uh, the zenith of my geekdom? You know, there's, I'm not a card guy. I think listeners know that. I've, I've talked about it. It's, it, you know, I can do a couple, you know, as is required by the laws of magic. I can do a few card tricks if necessary. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm not a big card guy. But, but I understand getting into the cards. I mean, I, I know I have uh, ended up flipping through, like, like old antique magazines, things like that, will we'll have, you know, an ad on, on, or an article on playing cards, and I'll end up flipping through, and I'm, I'm really interested in, like, um, the thing that, that I don't see anymore, which makes me sad, but we're around, when I was a kid, and I'm not much older than you, so when you were a kid, too, is promotional decks. Um, mm-hmm. Advertising decks, yeah, sure. Yeah, that's, that's how I learned magic, was on cards that had a... Uh, uh, heavy equipment from the from the uh, industrial air conditioning company that my dad worked for, the defense contractor that my dad worked for at the time. Um, there's no one-way deck like knowing which way the F-16 air conditioning system goes, you know. And and uh, and, and I do kind of get into that. I, I do look through those and, and find that, and I, and I think that's really cool. So I, I understand where you can get trapped in in that world, and before you know it, you're just you know. You're like you're in a convention in Florida chatting to a guy who does nothing but uh, girly art uh, cards from World War II. Yeah, well, that's what's really, really great about the convention is you go through it's like a magic convention. They've got a dealer's room, and you go from table to table. And at this table, you might find a an old Pharaoh deck or you know some some gambling apparatus from the late 1800s. And then you go to the next table, and it's someone who collects. You know, uh, airline decks, that's all they collect. And then you go to the next person, and they collect decks that are only pre-1932. Right? Like, and it's just it's so eclectic. And then the next guy, he's, he's making modern decks. Right? He's, he's got a deck that he's printed with Expert Playing Card Company or United States Playing Card Company, and they just printed it two months ago. So talk about as modern as modern gets, right? And it's all there. And then, like, you have a guy who collects playing card ephemera, so it's not so much playing cards as it is bicycle signs or New York Consolidated Card Company mirrors. There's just different things that are not playing cards but relate to the playing card world and the playing card industry of yesteryear. And it's, it's really great. And then, like I say, you have United States Playing Card Company there. You have Expert Playing Card Company there. So these big manufacturers are kind of sitting there. It's, imagine Comic-Con but for playing cards. Okay, I'll imagine that. Yeah, I mean, we don't walk around in costumes. That would be interesting, but we don't. Um, but it's like that, you know? Like, it's, it's a big, eclectic bunch of people. You know, we've got Kickstarter artists, and we have playing card enthusiasts, and we have hardcore historians, and we have, like, illustrators like Mark Stutzman. Like, everyone, we encompass everyone who loves playing cards, right? We're a very inclusive club when it comes to that. You know, originally the club started in 1985. It was an antique-only club. And only up until a few years ago do we realize that you know, we house more than just antique. We house the vintage. We house the modern. We house the Kickstarter. We house all the artists. We house all of that. And, you know, in the last year we started a digital magazine. This is a, this is a great reason to be part of the club. We started a digital magazine called Card Culture. 
and it comes out every month, and it, sometimes it's between 10 or 20 pages, and it's a really great mix of the modern, the vintage, and the antique discussion. And again, because it's the culture, it's not all playing cards. It talks about a lot of other stuff. You know, like with the issue comes out every 15th, and so this issue, I'll give you a preview. Uh, this issue's got an article on a man named Alan Lee, and he, he doesn't collect playing cards. He's not a playing card designer, per se. He draws playing cards on paper, like they're folded or creased, and, and it looks extremely real, like it's incredible. And so there's articles about him, and it's just the culture of, of playing cards. And because it's growing it's out there, there are thousands of us who really kind of enjoy that, appreciate that. And so uh, we've got a club, and it's called the 52 Plus Joker, and they're at the convention right now. They're having such a good time, and I'm so sad. I'm sitting here. Not that I don't enjoy talking to you and everyone in iTricksLad, Michael. I, I, I am enjoying this. But they are having a great time. Right now, actually, right now, what is it? It's right now, 545. They are announcing the club deck this year. We had a guy named Paul Carpenter. I think I've talked about him earlier. Paul Carpenter, one of the world's best playing card designers, created a club deck for us. Each year we pick one of the hottest designers, and he was uh, this year's. He, he, from scratch, created a deck for us to commemorate this year's uh, convention. And it's, it's so gorgeous. I, I, angels sing when you look at this deck, right? It's, it's that kind of deck. And you, if you go to playingcardforum.com and go search around, there will be pictures and images probably because it's, it's just about launched. There will be like a thousand made, and they're going to probably sell out a good majority of them today right there at the convention. And uh, it, it's just a, it's a great time to be in playing card world. Um, hey, how about a website? Okay, 52plusjoker.org. And it's the number 52. So 52plusjoker.org. That's actually the, the American Playing Card Collectors Association. Uh, and, and we take international members, too. I don't want you to think that if you live somewhere outside of the United States or the like, North America, like you can't join. Like Canada. Uh, you know what's funny is the president and another executive president board member, um, Tom and Judy Dawson, they live for me here in Canada. So a good majority of the board is actually here in Canada. But we're a, nor we're a North American club. But we, like I said, we have international members. Um, if you go there, you join. This is what you get if you join. 25 bucks a year. You get four printed magazines called the Clear the Decks. It's a magazine newsletter that we've been printing in color for the last, uh, I'd say, 20 years. It hasn't been in color for 20 years, but we've been printing a newsletter for 20 years. Then you get 12, C, uh, 12 card cultures, right, one every month. Then there might be a special edition or two. You get an account to the Playing Card Forum, which is the world's largest online playing card forum. So house everyone. Then you also get an Ask Alexander account. Right? Most magicians have heard of Ask Alexander, but you get tagged with the 52 plus Joker tag. And what that means is now you can go and search all of our newsletters from the time we started, from issue number one. It's all been digitized. Right? We've, we've worked very closely with the Conjuring Arts Research Center to make that happen. Also, the International Playing Card Society and the Chicago Collectors Club We've digitized their newsletters as well, and we have access to that. So you join the 52 Plus Joker, and you're going to be able to search all of that data as well, which is like a lifetime supply of playing card information. Um, and all of that, and you get to go to the convention, and you get the ability to buy the club deck, and all this stuff. Like I say, 25 bucks a year. I don't, I don't belong to a lot of organizations, but I certainly belong to this one because it's, it's. Uh, 
Well, I love playing cards. I don't know if you can tell, Michael. <laughs> like I said, uh, it's, it's beginning to come to light there. You know? <laughs> I, can't, I don't know if you can tell, but I, I love playing cards. So, here, just a wacky aside. I mean, you're, you're known for your card work. So, does it... How often do you use just the red or blue bikes? Do you, do, you, do you stick with those because that's what people are familiar with? And if so, does it kill you a little inside because you... Well, you know, this is, this is a great question. And I think a lot of people, um, a lot of people, this is kind of a, a polarizing kind of question because people pick sides on this. Well, I believe that you can only use red or blue because that's what people know and anything else could be a trick back. And you have the opposite side that believes, no, it doesn't matter as long as, you know, they shuffle it and touch it, they won't think it's a trick deck. Okay, I'm, I have a, uh, I'm very opinionated about this because obviously I love playing cards. And it's not so much that I, I love the, the writer back 808 red or blues. That's the kind of deck that you're talking about. Right. But I, because I love playing cards, I have learned about other types of cards other companies in different parts of the world, right? Because we live in North America, the largest playing card manufacturer is the United States Playing Card Company. So, of course, the brands that we're most familiar with are their brands. But there are other companies out there, and that's not a slight against the United States Playing Card Company. It's just there are other brands in the world. And one of the other brands in the world is Fournier, and it's, uh, it's out of Spain. And I love their playing cards. I adore their playing cards. They make some of the most beautiful decks of cards in the world. So when it was time for me to print cards, it was time for me to go, okay, if I'm going to have my own deck, who would I print with? I went to Spain. I, I spoke with Fournier. Now, Fournier is owned by United States Playcard Company. They're actually owned by the parent company, Jardine Incorporated. So, it, you know, it's all the same. It all comes out in the wash. But... Spain prints a little differently than the United States Playcard Company. And they're also a little smaller. So, you know... You can't call up United States Playing Card Company and get the president on the phone that easily. But I was able to call up Fournier and get the president on the phone pretty easily and, and have really long, fantastic, wonderful, beautiful conversations with him. Because he, too, loves playing cards. And so we shared this passion. And though, like, like I say, I, I printed with Fournier. But that's not to answer your question. Your question is, can I use something other than the reds and the blues? And the answer for me is absolutely. And here's my reasoning. I think that after 2004, you had an explosion of playing cards happen. Right? Black Tigers kind of opened up this Pandora's box, if you will. And at that point, I think the United States Playing Card Company realized that there is a demand for more than just the red and the blue. So they started putting out all of these different styles and kinds of decks underneath the bicycle brand. So, you know, you, you, you can go to Walmart and you can buy eight, nine different colors and styles of decks of cards now. Okay, probably even more, but this was back then. So I think the argument of, oh, we only use red and blue because that's what people know, stands true pre-2004. But now, like I say, that you can go to Walmart and, and buy eight different types of decks, and you can see, you know, here's a weird green-looking deck, and here's a purple-looking deck. I think people are more relaxed to the, to the notion that... Um, there are other decks out there, right? There are other things other than red and blue. Uh, also, I'm a firm believer in decks of cards carry stories. Right? Each story, there's an artist 
right there. There's the artist story. There's the manufacturer story. There's the design story. There's there's all these beautiful, rich pieces of context that you can add to your magic that you'd be missing out on. I mean, the red and the blues have their own story too, and they're, it's actually a very fascinating story. But like I say, if you're doing all of these 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 routines, let's say you're doing a routine uh, like a a mentalism piece that's kind of got a, a geek flair to it, then why wouldn't you use a deck of cards that's a little spooky looking, right? That adds context. That's, that adds layers. That, that, you know, that, like I said, adds flavor to the routine. So to just, you know, be dry and use the reds and the blues, I mean, I, again, I understand the argument and I appreciate that argument, but I myself will not confine myself to just reds and blues because I believe that your audience is worth these, you know, these extra little tidbits and you are too, as a magician. It gives you extra time to engage with your audience. You know, it's, it's a really, there's, there's just so much factual information that you can share with them. It's, you know, it's, I, again, I think that uh, you're, dis, you're doing yourself a disservice if you just use the reds and the blues. But that's my opinion. Don't yell at me. I don't want any hate mail over it. The flame wars don't have to begin on the cafe. Uh, but again, that's just my opinion. And I also believe, one last thing, and I'm sorry that I'm rambling on because I do love playing cards. I believe we're in a really golden age period for playing cards because there, there's all this innovation happening, right? There's all these decks coming out. And people think, oh, it's too saturated. There's too many decks. But the fact of the matter is there's a lot of innovation. And so we're getting better decks of cards now, right? There, there are the papers better, the, the manufacturing process is better, the quality control checks are better. Things are improving. So I think it's just a really good time right now for playing cards and the playing card world and the playing card industry. It, it's funny that you mentioned that because that actually was going to be my next question. Um, now, see, like I, like I mentioned, I, I grew up in a time where there were promotional decks everywhere. You know, uh, at, at my house we had TWA decks and, and Kenamental, which was like where my dad worked, and then later Gould Breaks, another fine uh, deck with... Uh, industrial breaks on it and you know um, the quick shop down the corner before 7-Eleven was everywhere they had their own decks and you know so so I, I think a certain age you're kind of used to that idea of seeing a million because everybody had had decks of cards what I'm wondering though I happen to actually buy cards just the other day strangely enough at Walmart where I mm -hmm. bought a twin pack of, mm -hmm. of bicycles they were not the red and blue that they always sold they were a red set and a black deck and they were on mm. sale and i was mm. like hell yeah i'm gonna buy a couple of these just because <laughs> you never know um I, I people give me cards a lot because uh i you know they know i'm a, a magician and and i'm like which is weird because you've never effing seen me do a card trick but okay you know so i have star trek cards because i'm also a nerd um, Walking Dead card. I actually have, have been given in the last uh, couple of months several decks of zombie cards and things like that. I, a lot of these I, I don't, I haven't opened or I open and look at, but I don't do a lot of card tricks. So here's my question to you. You go to Walmart, and I, like I said, I bought cards the other night, and there were, there were see-through, there were white, there were pink, oh, it's, there were black. Oh, there's a lot more than your reds and your blues now. You know. Um, there were a couple special decks. There was a bicycle deck in its own case that I don't even know what it was. There were there were a whole bunch of themes, and I think there were Disney princess ones. And a, if if you find yourself standing at your regular retail shop, whatever it is, and, and you you have the selection of cards in front of you, as as a magician, as somebody who's going to be uh, using these not just to to play poker. 
how reasonable... Uh, what's my expectation of... Let's say I pick up that Walking Dead deck. Or let's say I, I pick up uh, some, some other kind of themed deck. If it's from U.S. Playing Card Company, which a lot of them do seem to be. They seem to be printing, you know, a, a line share. What kind of quality should I expect from them? Are, are they going to be right there with the 808s? Yeah, they should be. They should be. For the majority, they should be. Um, you know, we're talking about customized decks, right? That's a division of United States Playing Card Company. Um, it, and I'm, I think it still is the same division as uh, a deck that, let's say, Illusionist would go print, right? That's there's a certain they, the United States Plank Art Company's main business is casino, so they have their own division. And so custom for a very long time used to print Daffy Duck cards and Walking Dead cards and those kinds of things. But in 2004, like I say, Brad Christian and the, Illus the Illusionist came along and they printed this black, you know, tiger deck, and it kind of changed everything. And you know, the custom division went from this very small division to a powerhouse division, <laughs> pumping out decks left and right. Now, they're not, I don't think they'll ever overtake the casino division, but, you know, they're, they're doing a pretty good job. So, you know, they don't, I don't think they want to put out bad product. I don't think any company, you know, wants to put out bad product. So most of these custom decks that are coming out, these, these Walking Dead and whatnot, they're all, they're put through the same quality processes as, as probably an 808 or any of these other custom decks come out. And, they, and the way that U.S. Playing Card does it is in queues, Q1, Q2, Q3, Q4. And so it's actually a, a little piece of plastic. That, like, it looks like a, an 8.5 by 11 piece of paper, but it's see-through plastic, and it has different slots in it, you know, slits. And you stick the deck through, and if the deck fits through, then the box is right. And, you know, and, it, and, it, and that's how they kind of test quality. And uh, so if it fits through the Q1 part of that, piece of plastic, then that's a Q1 deck. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so that's what they do probably with the majority of those custom decks, like The Walking Dead and all that stuff. Uh, so you should expect it to be just as good. Awesome. Because I think, I think that probably scares off some of the, the, the newer card magicians, too, is, is, you know, what am I... Because let's face it, and I'm not going to say it's a U.S. playing card, but there are decks of cards you can pick up and you go, these feel like... Sure, uh, but you, you I know, know I, I will say the store. taste, the touch, touch is subjective, right? Like you might pick up a deck of cards and feel it, and wow, this feels buttery and smooth and thin. But that's actually not what I like. I mean, I do like a, a smooth deck, uh, but I actually like a, a more robust stock. I like a thicker deck. So what you might like as a thin pack, I might go, oh, that's too thin, right? It's all subjective. Um, and here, at the end of the day, at the end of the day. If you're doing this for magic purposes, then you should be able to use any deck of cards any, anyone hands you, right? So whether it's, if the deck is good or not, as long as you're able to, to perform with it, as long as it's able to function, then it's, any deck will work. All right. Hey, um, we're coming up on the halfway part, point here, so we're going to take a little break. And I think when we come back, nothing against cards, but I think we're going to talk a little bit of, of magic, if that's all right with you. Let's do it. All right, so hang on. We'll be back. This is Michael reminding you once again to support your local no-kill animal shelter. My own family has had a rescue, uh, part chihuahua, part miniature pincher maybe for years, named Paco, the uh, microphone-shy chihuahua mix. But even though he disappointed us last year by not barking into the microphone, he is still a beloved part of our family. And uh, you can find a friend like that or help other families find 
uh, th their new members at your local no-kill animal shelter. And let's see if this year we can get Paco to bark for us. Paco, Paco, you want to bark? Tell everybody to support their animal shelter. There you go. Paco and Michael say support your local no-kill animal shelter. Now back to the Magic Week in Review. iTricks.com And we're back with Lee Asher. Um, we, I promise we're leaving the cards behind. Not that there's anything wrong with cards. but No, no, no. I'm, I understand. I understand. I understand. We want to talk about. Um, one of the things that we actually talk to you about quite a bit is uh, something that I think is very cool. And that is the Sorcerer's Safari Magic Camp. Um, yeah, 20th anniversary this coming year. And you've been associated with them for like 15 years, right? Yeah, this, this was my 15th consecutive summer at Sorcerer's Safari Magic Camp. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's something I take real seriously. You know, it's, it's an institution. You know, that we need to have more things like this in magic. Uh, it's, it's such a... a I can't, Mike, Mike, I promise you, I will tell you about it, and it still does not even come close to what the reality is. You know, it's just one of these unexplainable places until you're standing there, to, you know, until you're breathing the air on the baseball field. You can't really comprehend how special this place is. I met my wife there, okay? I, I also want to say she was not a camper. That's important to note. Uh, she, uh, her, the owner's wife's best friend and that's how I, I was actually there as a special guest and that's how we met so that's how that's how special this this place this institution is for me um every summer i go there and it just it recharges my battery you know i i actually go to camp i used to go to camp ready to teach the kids and now i go to camp ready for the kids to teach me you know these these kids they're amazing and i'm not talking card tricks, right? These, not, not a lot of these kids are going to show me something that I haven't seen, though there are a few, right? There have been a few throughout the, couple, the last 15 years that have blown my mind. Uh, but I go there because they teach me about the culture of magic. They teach me about YouTube. They teach me about places where they learn. They, they, you know, I had such a wonderful discussion with these kids a couple of years ago about YouTube. You know, and, and at first I had to preface the conversation by saying, I won't be mad at you. Don't, don't, don't think I'm going to get mad at you if you tell me the truth. Do you guys have any exposure videos up there? You know, and, and a couple of them raised their hands, and we had this conversation that turned into this two-hour talk that turned into a bunch of teachers and other staffers coming and, and then adding in their, their thoughts. And incredible. I learned so much that day. I learned, I learned so much not only about magic and the Internet. I learned so much about myself that day. You know, I mean, it's... I don't get those kinds of experiences most anywhere else. So I really clear my schedule. I really turn work down to make sure that I can be there. That, that, that is so important. I mean, I'm married to a teacher. I understand this kind of sense of, of uh, you, you know, wanting, wanting to be there. I spent all of my magic career up until up until right at the end when I was tailing off magic because I was having some some health issues. I've talked about it before on the show. They so the eye tricksters know what, I, what I'm talking about. And I started doing Santa Claus, uh, which I didn't want to do. I threw out a big price when somebody called and asked me to do it. They said yes, and I immediately was like, "What?" <laughs> now I have to be Santa Claus. And I performed magic for kids for the first time. Found that I really enjoyed it. Um, 
have worked with kids on other things now and, and other level teach martial arts to kids and and, and I'm going back uh, and and now I'm going to go back now that I can perform again solely for kids and one thing that that I'm looking around at is is kids programs because when I was a kid growing up there really weren't any in my area I mean I you know I know there's been tannins forever and, yeah and, tannins has been around for a very long time but, but uh, there, there wasn't you know there, there wasn't you know programs at the Y teaching magic or, or anything like that so I, I think these magic camps and everything are, are just such a cool idea uh, to, to keep magic going and, and to see things uh, going. And, uh, you know, like I went to the combined convention last year, the IBM Sam, since it was in St. Mm-hmm. Louis, and, uh, and, and talked to several of the people who were involved with the Young Magicians conference that they do beforehand, mm-hmm. um, like Alex Ramon and stuff. And I was just like, man, that's, that's such a cool thing. Someday I really would like to be part of that and involved with that. So, so you know, I think the Search of Safari is, is awesome. What, uh, what ages do you deal with there it's between ages eight to 20 and to go back to the combined i'm pretty sure that sorcerer safari was part of that youth program at the, the combined convention yeah it might have been they, they wouldn't let me in because uh evidently 43 is no longer considered young yeah well you know it's moved to florida well, I, i'm about that age anyway evidently, so. <laughs> but yeah you know what this i'll tell you about the class that i teach and i because i've been there 15 15 consecutive summers I've pretty much taken on it, you know, every role there is to take on um, teaching-wise. And so I used to teach the, uh, the advanced classes, right, the, the older guys, the guys that wanted all the, the knuckle-busting card stuff. And, and I loved that, and I enjoyed that. And then there was a time where I actually went and taught the beginners, the A1s. We, we kind of classify them by uh, the alphabet. So A1, A2, A3, these are beginners. Bs are the intermediates, and Cs are the advanced. Uh, so I decided, you know, um, let's teach the A1s. And that year I had Michael Close's daughter in my class, Ava Close. Um, so, you know, like the, it, it was an experience. Uh, I, I, I personally had a, a very difficult time teaching, you know, nine-year-olds card magic. That, that's not easy. You know, I have mucho respect for anyone that can do that. Right? And, I, and I didn't realize that until I went and did it. I go, oh, I could teach a nine-year-old a card trick. Not so easy. <laughs> but it was, excuse me, it was a great experience. So now I teach the B4s, right, right in the middle, the B4s. And uh, it's, it's, it's a really great program. And at least this, I think so, right? You tell me when, when, I'm, when I'm done. You tell me what you think. But what I do is I get the, right, the, the intermediate guys, the guys that are not the beginners, that know just enough, but that they also know they're not advanced. And... I have them, in the first day, we talk a little theory, right? We talk about effect, method, plot, handling, and whatnot. And we start to define things, right? We, we start to use certain vocabulary so that we can have a better discussion. And once we kind of get there, we start to talk about routines that they've been working on and, you know, like putting uh, the effect to it, right? Classifying the effect. And then what I do is I, I start to make them think about if they had to combine three different routines to make a set. And then I inform them on day three that the reason that we call this the before class is because you guys get to perform before the main show. And so now they understand that in two days, they're going to be the main talent before Greg Fruin takes the stage or Daryl or one of the major, you know, talents that we have at camp. So they would basically be the opener for Greg Fruin, right? That's, that's, that's a, 
that's a serious task that these these boys and some of the girls would have to do. You could build a network show about that, trying to get the spot before a major. <laughs> of course. And so for the next two days, I take them into the theater because we have a theater up at camp. It's called the Pine Pages. But um, boom, thank you. And I make them go around and choose where they're going to start and their first routine, and then where they're going to do their second set and where they're going to do their third set because I make them do three sets. And then what I make them do is bring their notebooks on the day of, and I make them switch the routine. So if you start with this you know, trick on this over here, I want you to end with it over here. And just start changing the different ways that you do these three tricks. Now, even if you know that this is not the best way to end, I want you to do it anyway and prove to yourself that's the case. Because sometimes you might be wrong. You never know until you do it. And so I force them into doing you know, thinking and participating and practicing like this so that when they go into the real world, if they ever, you know, decide to take it further, they, they have a, a director's eye on how to approach, you know, how, okay, what, what pieces would I perform in a venue like this? How many would I do? If I did, where would I start? Where would I end? Like all the things that you, we think of when we're there, but you really don't think of before you're there. And especially when you're a kid, you know, and you're just doing this for fun, but to, to have this kind of information makes them better. And so I love that these kids leave my class and say to me, like, you know what? I know that we didn't learn a lot of tricks per se, but I learned more about magic this week than I've ever learned. You know, and and that to me, that I've done my job. Now we're talking. Now, if I can, you know, if I can just make one of them just a little better, then I've I've done it right. I've done my job. So that's the B four class. That's what I. That's what I've been doing for the, the last two summers. Yeah, that that sounds awesome. I mean valuable and uh rewarding for you and and it must be just a a great experience for for the kids um so the camp's been going on long enough you know are are there some some recognizable names that have come out of the social safari now yeah we've had a couple of guys who you know here's the difference between uh, what we do and what Tannins does. And Tannins is fantastic. I've personally never been there, but I know a ton of people that went there. And as a kid, I always wanted to go. And so, but Tannins, they are into turning out competitive winners, right? They work on acts that go to compete at some of the major conventions. And they, their track record is spectacular. Right? They, they turn out winners. Ours is more camp-related, right? We're, we're going to be in the lake we're swimming around, we're canoeing, we're playing volleyball, we're running around, capture the flag, that kind of stuff, instead of working to perfect an act for a competition. So when it comes to like the, the, the high-quality contest winners that we're turning out, we're actually not. That's not our goal. But we have turned out a couple of professional magicians. A couple of kids have grown up and have done this now as their profession. Keith Brown is a fantastic example. Um, Keith Brown came to us when he was 15 years old. I remember the day he showed me his bridge-sized deck of cards. And, and he had some really, really nice sleight of hand. And, you know, slowly over time, he grew and matured. And now he's, he's absolutely a fantastic magician. I love watching him. I was a judge for a Toronto magic contest. And he competed. And I, I, was, I was smitten watching him. Like, he was, you know, he was great. The audience loved him. And so I was very proud. I was very proud because we, we've turned, you know, a guy like him, he's, like I say, he started when he was 15, and now he is working all around the world, 
And, and that's great. That's really, really great. But I understand if a lot of these kids grow up and don't want to be magicians professionally. You know, not everyone is, is uh, built to be awesome magician professionally, Michael. Now, another question. <laughs> Over the last 15 years you've been around, has, uh, do you see more girls? Do you see a change in the amount of girls to boys? Sure. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, it's not, I think that because the, the dynamic, the shift from stage to close-up happened, you know, David Blaine had a lot to do with that. Uh, you know, you're not seeing people being, you know, we're not seeing women getting sawed in half as much as we are anymore. So it's not this, you know, we're not, we're not displaying our emotions for the, in the females. You know, so I think that the, there, there, there are ladies, women, who want to be, you know, they, they love card magic, they love coin magic, they love close-up magic, and they're, they're getting into the art, and I think that's great. I think that's great, because magic could use a feminine touch. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, that's something we've, we've talked about a lot in the past on, on, on this show, is, is what, what can we do? Where, where are the girls? Let's, let's bring them. In fact, we brought back the podcast a, a long time ago after I, I had a chance to, to talk with Celeste, uh, Celeste Evans, Mm-hmm. Like, hey, we should bring back the podcast. So, so we did, um, and all because of, we were talking about to her about the the history of uh, of of women in magic and what what it was like for her back back in the day. But um, yeah, magic camp, man, that that just does, sounds so cool. I I can see. I'm a little bit jealous of you now for that. <laughs> well, you know, contact Sorcerer Safari. If anyone is interested, contact Sorcerer Safari. And, uh, and see, you know, see what can be done. Look, if you can't physically come to camp, you can still help by supporting a kid to come to camp, whether it be a kid that you know, or just by, you know, donating money so that a kid can, you know, a kid can come to camp. There's, there's a bunch of ways that you can help and be, participate without actually physically being there. But if you physically want to be there, like I say, give, give a call to Sorcerer Safari and see what can be worked out. Well, I'm kind of afraid Canada won't let me out, though, too. No. Oh well, then there, there it is. There it is. You and I are in the same boat, buddy. <laughs> Can uh, how about how about a website for the camp? Uh, SorcererSafari.ca, and that is a funny spelling. So let me see if I can attempt this for you. S O R C E R E R S S A F A R I dot C A. Dot C A. Very good. All right, so we've we've covered we've covered your extracurricular activities. Mm-hmm. What's what's going on right now with with Lee Asher? Uh, what is Lee Asher doing? What is doing? Lee Asher doing? Well, becoming a Canadian. So glad you asked. You know, for the last uh, it's been almost been nine years now. I've been consulting with Greg Fruin at the Greg Fruin Theater at Niagara Falls. He uh, he is a grand champion, world time you know FISM winner. You name the award, he's won it. Kind of magician. Uh, but also, he is a really, really great guy to work with. Um, he's, he's got his own theater. Not a lot of magicians have their own theater, but he does. And he's an interesting guy. You know, most people, you get your own theater, and it's like, sweet, I got my own theater. Well, he got his own theater and then built his own theater. Like, he poured the concrete. He raked, you know, the auditorium and the way that the seats are and the proscenium of the stage. Like, he is, um, he is so hands-on. Right? Not only that, but he's obviously he does magic with animals. So he's got tigers and he's got birds and dogs. And he also has you know multiple employees, uh, probably upwards of fifty employees. And he's the CEO of his own company. And oh yeah, he does magic twice a night. <laughs> he's a monster. So I uh, I work with him, and it's it's a real honor and a pleasure to uh, to be around a guy like that. 
You know, like he's he's just he's fantastic. I mean, I can't I, I I could go on for hours about how great Greg is, but just as a magician, as a person, everything he's just really he's one of the good guys, and I'm really proud to be on his team and helping him succeed to to, to meet his his dreams and his goals. I talked to Steve Spill not too long ago. Um... And we talked a lot, actually, about building his own theater. Uh, he has Magicopolis out there in, in California. And, mm-hmm. and the thought that, that went into that, um, how incredible is it to perform on a stage that is actually meant for magic and not for necessarily theater, music, or a million oh. other things? How is it to perform on a stage with your name on it? <laughs> It's pretty awesome. It's pretty awesome. And, and he, it's a pretty humbling experience, you know. Like, Greg will tell you, he, he's not the type of guy to, to gloat about it. You know, like, he's a very hard worker. And if you get an opportunity, you should absolutely come to the Greg Fruin Show in Niagara Falls. It's like a, it's a 700-seat theater. He packs it nightly. He does magic on stage. He does close-up magic in the audience. He's got tigers. He's got birds. Like, it's... It's a, a throwback to the to the Vegas kind of show, the magic show, in Niagara Falls. Like it, it's Canada, it should be very proud of this because it's it's very unique. We don't have much like this elsewhere in this country, and uh, and he he's the right guy for it. He's just spectacular. And, and just to, to throw out a size for for people, uh, seven hundred seats is is about three times the size of an average modern movie auditorium. Um, just to give you an idea how, how many people he's putting in every night. Yep. Yep. And, you know, like I say, he's, he's, he is a jack of all trades. Not only is he doing the illusions on stage, but he's writing, you know, he's helping choreogra- with the choreography of the show. He's, you know, in the accounting department doing, you know, detailing for the stock that they have for the bar. And he's, he's working on Photoshop stuff so they could get a sign up over the falls. And, and he's got his hands in everything. And it, it's really exciting to, to be around someone like that. You know, someone who is so ingrained in their business and knows what they want and works so hard to achieve their goals. And like I said, I'm, I'm very proud and honored to be, to be on his team. That, that so that's, that's what like I've been doing. Yeah. I'm sorry? Sounds like a dream gig. Yeah, it's, it's, it is pretty dreamy. It is pretty dreamy. Um, and he's, he's just a super cool guy. And... So it's a lot of fun to be around him, and it's not really work, you know. You know when you love to do something, it's really hard to sit, call it work. You know that's that's kind of how it is with Greg and working with Greg, and and he's he is he's he's a consummate professional, you know. Like he's you, you say to him, hey, you know, I got an idea for the show tonight. What about this? And he's you know listening, okay, okay, and he goes out there and does it, you know. And he tries it and comes back and goes, yeah, you know what, that was, yeah, yeah. Or he goes, no, no, fell flat, totally didn't work. <laughs> There's a lot more of that sometimes than there is uh, positive, but he's that type of guy that he knows his show so well that he can, you know, throw new things in here and there to test to see how well it works, and, and he listens to it, and he records shows, and he watches, and, and like I say, he's a consummate professional. Now, I know our time is coming to a close. I know I've taken up a bunch of your time. I know you have commitments. Um, so just to, to sum up before we go, uh, first of all, Throw out your website so everybody can can follow Lee Asher. Um, LeeAsher.com. I know it's one of the complicated ones. Are you going to yes. switch that to, to LeeAsher.ca anytime soon? Mm, you know, you have to be, I think you have to be a citizen to own a CA. I could be wrong. Really? Maybe you have to be a resident. But you have to be, there's some, some 
stipulation somewhere that says that uh, you must have some Canadian identity to own a CA. So I can't own one just yet. But yeah, maybe one day. It'd be nice to own that CA. And, and then, uh, do, do you have anything new coming out that we can look forward to? You know, I wish I did, guys. I appreciate everyone's patience uh, with a lot of my new releases. I've been working on a book for a long time, and I, I, I already hear the boos. I hear you booing already. Boo! I hear it. I hear it. I've been working on Pulp Friction, the book, for years. And it, I've, making, I've making some good headway in the last six, seven months. And, but I had a friend come visit me, and he cracked something open that I went, uh-oh, I haven't thought about this, and I need to think about this, and this has to be a major part of this. And, you know, you know how it is. It's, it's, it's never-ending. So I, my, that will come out soon. And that's, that's if I, if, like I say, if there's anything new that I would point to, it would be Pulp Friction, the book. And I appreciate everyone's patience with it. Someone actually wrote me the other day and called it the Chinese democracy of magic books. (laughs) And I thanked him and I said I would use that. (laughs) But but you you, you have a blog on your site and all that good stuff. We can still keep up with you, right? Yeah, I don't actually blog. Blog's a bad word for me because I am not consistent that way. But I have a playground, so you can come play on the playground. I have a bunch of articles. I just threw that Andrew Eland article yeah, up we a, a week or two a ago. Yeah, article from you not too long ago, yeah. Yeah, and so, I, you know, when I ha- here's the thing. When I have something to say, I'll say it, but I'm not going to try to manufacture something that I, when I don't have something to say. Oh, that's um, the best way to do it. Yeah, so if you, you know, you go to the playground section, you read up on the latest and greatest, and here's the thing, anyone in iTrix land, if you're listening, you want to just check in with me, email me, lee at leeasher.com, man, I'll have a conversation with you, I'll tell you what's new, what I'm looking at, what I think about this, and contact me, I'm one of the easiest people to get a hold of in this, uh, this industry, and I pride myself on that, so if you have questions, if you want to talk about the latest and greatest, if you want to yell at me for my Chinese democracy style Pulp Fiction book, please, Email me, leeatleyasher.com, and I, I welcome hearing from you. All right. Well, thank you for uh, sitting down with us today. We really appreciate it. It was great to, to uh, finally touch base with you for real. Yeah, man, totally. I appreciate the time that I've uh, spent with you and, and your listeners. Thank you so much for the opportunity. And everybody out there in iTrix land, as, we, as we've done it today, the, we'll be back soon, I promise, with a middleist everybody knows only by one name, and that is <laughs> Diddleman. Uh, that, that's our, if everything goes right, that's that's our next guest. We should be back in about a week. Until then, keep up with everything going on in the world of magic at itricks.com. <laughs>